oftentimes we don't want to show that weakness. We don't want to show that we needed to hear that or we don't want to say that. Mm -hmm. We actually don't think that there's any shame in the struggle. From Politico, this is Women Rule, where we bring you real talk with women bosses. I'm Anna Palmer, senior Washington correspondent and co-author of the Politico Playbook. That's Jessica Rodriguez, the president and COO of Univision, the largest Hispanic media company in the United States. She started out as an intern and worked her way up to the C-suite. But before all that, she was a girl growing up in the Bronx, the eldest daughter of two Spanish-speaking immigrants, which gave her a foot in two worlds. Everybody comes to their duality as a Latino, you know, 100% American and 100% Latino in very different ways. My parents were just so darn resilient. I just remember very vividly them sitting down with me and saying, you live here in the United States, you're going to want to be American, whatever that means, (laughs) Jessica. But I want it to be very clear about something. You are Latino and in this house, you're going to speak Spanish and you're going to learn about your culture. As a kid, she had to translate for her parents, especially after her father died suddenly when she was just 15. She says those responsibilities coming at such an early age are common. And where others simply see hurdles, she also sees the start of her trajectory as a business leader. For so many immigrants, it's like, let, let's let's think about this. You, you're mature beyond your age. You're making a lot of decisions for your family. You speak a few languages. Look at what you think is maybe um, something that's holding you back and say, my gosh, I am a multitasker, crisis manager, multilingual expert, and I'm 15. And now... Here's my conversation with Jessica Rodriguez. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I want to start with the scope and reach of Univision for our audience who maybe isn't as familiar with it or hasn't watched it a lot. What role does it kind of play in the Latino world? Can you walk us through kind of the relationship you have with your audience? Absolutely. Uh, Univision is uh, has been serving the Latino community for almost six years decades. If you are a Latino in this country, your journey has always had Univision by its side. On any given day, we can be the top three, four, five broadcaster in this nation, regardless of language. And so that's exciting. We've seen our audience grow and develop. And as such, we've grown and developed to serve their needs, right? So we have an amazing reach. We have an amazing footprint with our local community. We have over 120 local stations, television and radio. And so whether you are a first generation in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, or if you are fourth generation from Houston, Texas, you have a touch point with Univision in the community. So one of the things that for me, it's super important to come across uh, and to state uh, very emphatically is that I am a first generation Latina in this country. And I was born and raised watching Univision. It was part of my life. (laughs) And over the years, the role that Univision plays in my life as a consumer has evolved and changed with the times. So it's interesting because whether you are first generation Latino in this country or a third generation Latino, whether you are an English dominant Hispanic in this country or a Spanish dominant Latino in this country, there is an opportunity for you to come in and out of the Univision brand. There's a place for you in the ecosystem that is Univision and uh, the networks. Our community is evolving. Our community is changing. Our community is coming through a wonderful period of growth and power as a society. And so how do we make sure that everything that we're doing is reflective of that? 
One thing I want to talk about is what's happened down in El Paso, Texas, and um, the mass shooting that appears that it was targeting uh, Latinos. President's politics are divisive, and oftentimes people think, you know, in your community that they're being targeted. How have you approached the coverage? I know that Univision and the president have have fought over certain things, you know, in the past. Yeah. So we have always served our community. We will always advocate for our community. Um, our community expects that from us. We are fair. We are balanced. We are going to hold all of our um, political officials um, held up to a high standard. And we're going to ask the questions. And we are going to defend our audience um, in the way that they expect us to. <laughs> so that means that, you know, absolutely, we are there boots on the ground when any of these mass shootings happen. It absolutely affects us all deeply, personally as a Latina as well, absolutely. It affects each and every one of us. But whether it's the children on the border, whether it's what's happening with our dreamers, whether it's how do we prepare our, our young, growing Latino population to register to vote, how do we prepare and inform them in the elections? How do we get them ready for the census? We're going to be there. We're going to be there. And we're going to be there with honesty. And we're going to be there not shying away from those topics. Because that's what our community deserves. It's what each and every one of us who work here um, want our brand to continue to mean and stand for. So absolutely, absolutely, that's at the forefront of what we do. And we don't shy away from from those from those topics at all and covering that. I'm really proud of the fact that Univision has the highest brand equity score of any media company in the United States. And a lot of that has to do with our on-air talent. We love the fact that we send them out into the community. Our talent goes out on a Saturday and they're part of a Cinco de Mayo celebration or a Grito celebration or a Day of the Dead celebration. And when they're out there and they're with the community, we ask them, to actually help us getting out important key messages to our audience. One of our morning news anchors became a citizen. Oh, wow. And what was really delicious and lovely and inspiring was the fact that we actually covered her ceremony. And she was there with her husband and her young son and her mother. Uh, she flew in family from Honduras. And it was really beautiful to be able to showcase that, to bring that um, in a very real way, way to our audiences, because I think with everything, if you see things in the abstract, you may not connect to it. Sure. But there's so much inspiration in terms of just the everyday stories that we see from our own talent, right, that I think, um, again, uh, allows our audience to see themselves reflected in our programming, in our content, right? So that's something that we'll continue to do, because I think then the journey with someone like her is, okay. I'm now a U.S. citizen, and now I'm excited about this prospect that I'm going to be able to vote for the first time. So let's take her on that journey, and let's let's have our audience see what that journey is like, right? I want to take a step back, uh, more of your personal story. We're here at your offices in Manhattan, but you grew up in the South Bronx, right? Yes, I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a world away from here. Yes, absolutely. Uh, your parents were both immigrants who spoke Spanish. Did your parents do something specific to reinforce their cultural traditions in you and your siblings so that that wouldn't be lost as you kind of made your way in this country? Yeah, absolutely. Look, 
I think one of the things that is really important when we speak about the Hispanic population is that we have to respect and honor and understand that everybody comes to uh, their duality as a Latino, you know, 100% American and 100% Latino in very different ways. And so what that, what that means is that there's a very real, real case um, of, you know, Latinos like myself who are first generation in this country who don't speak one word of Spanish, right? And that doesn't make them any less or any more Latino than myself because what, what most, most times no one wants to speak about is when you come to this country, you want your child to assimilate. Sure. You don't want them to be bullied. You don't want them to be made fun of because they have an accent, right? And that's very real and that's very, um, can be sometimes even traumatizing. My parents were just so darn resilient. They, I just remember very vividly them sitting down with me and saying that it's like, look, you, you, you live here in the United States. Uh, you're in New York City. You're gonna, you're gonna make a lot of, you're gonna make a lot of friends who speak en- English. You're gonna want to be American, whatever that means, <laughs> Jessica. Uh, but I want it to be very clear about something. You are Latino, and in this house. The minute you step foot in this house, you're going to speak Spanish and you're going to learn about your culture. And that laid the groundwork for me to be a courageous individual, because looking back now as a child, you don't realize it. But now looking back, you realize that takes courage, that takes courage to to come to a new country. Um, In the case of uh, my father, he was uh, an undocumented Mm. um, immigrant when he came and you leave everything behind for a better life and I saw that courage being reflected in that every single day. It was like, yes, you're you're 100% American, but you're 100% Latino, and we're going to give you all the tools so that you can live by that every day. It was was really just something really beautiful and refreshing. You were a teenager when your father passed away pretty suddenly. Yeah. How did that impact kind of your trajectory? Did you have to take on a, a more, you know, adult-like responsibilities? So I I like to say that my experience is is very much like the one that many first generation kids grow up with mm-hmm. right where you're straddling two cultures but you're also taking a lot on a lot of responsibility so interesting enough um yeah when my father passed away and i had just turned 15 and obviously in uh, in latino cultures quinceañeros are the big thing mm-hmm. not your sweet 16 and my father um died right around my birthday and that absolutely for as traumatizing as that was because I was growing up in this immigrant culture where I was a translator for my parents in many ways, right? Mm-hmm. I was I was the one navigating when you're going to like school and you've got the parent-teacher conference and the teacher needs to say something to your mom and dad and they don't really understand <laughs> right. what you're saying. And so you're, you're the one that's a translator, you know, at school. You're the one that's a translator at the supermarket. You're the one that's actually like you're going with your mom to the bank and you're actually the one talking to the bank teller. So all those things that I actually learned when I was eight, nine, 10, 11, it just was accelerated more when my father passed away, right? Because at that time, my mom was a widow with four kids under the age of 18. Wow. And as um, the eldest of the daughters, I, I really became the de facto kind of parent mm-hmm. in terms of helping my mother navigate the real world. Then it just became a little bit more serious in the sense of, you know, I just remember having to help my mother, you know, whether it was, you know, with the Social Security office mm. uh, and trying to get benefits or, you know, navigating the housing system 
even making arrangements like funeral arrangements and things like that. So they're absolutely um, there. There is a there is a trauma that happens to any kid when your parent passes away and you're young. But there was that added element of um, the dynamics of you know you you've always been that kind of translator for for that. And now with one of the parents gone, how does that how does that go on into the future, right? The impact and then to, yeah, never to rebel against it. I think that would be the hardest instinct at some point. I mean, that's a lot to take on as a young person. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's so interesting because looking back and obviously, you know, I'm very proud of, you know, all the opportunities. I'm very lucky of all the opportunities that I've been granted in life. You know, I think one of the things that when I reach out to young kids and I speak with younger generations, especially when you're an immigrant, and so oftentimes you're trying to carve out a space and you don't know where you belong and, you know, you, you don't know what you should be pursuing and, and you have dreams, and um, but you don't even know where to begin. I, I like to mention to those kids that, you know, the things that you don't think set you apart and the things that you don't think are added value are really out, outstanding. I mean, you know, the fact that, you know, for so many immigrants, it's like, let, let's let's think about this. You, you're mature beyond your age. You're making a lot of decisions for your family because of the language barrier. You're growing up much quicker than ever before. You speak a few languages. What I like to actually, like, talk to kids about is that, that it's just like, look at, look at what you think is maybe... Um, something that's holding you back or the fact that you don't know where your place in the world is or you feel like you're not fitting in, how do you how do you think about it differently and say, my gosh, I am a multitasker, crisis manager, multilingual expert, and I'm 15. So it really flips the script in a way of empowerment from, you know, things that you might think would hold you back. Yeah. You were the first in your family to graduate from college, and you got a pretty big job as an investment banker, Mm -hmm. but you eventually decided that it wasn't right for you. Talk about that. What led you to investment banking and then to maybe reevaluate? Yeah. So let me take one step back. So in this journey of my parents Mm -hmm. um, coming to this country and, you know, me growing up really straddling two cultures, right? The English culture, uh, the American culture, you know, wanting to watch all the shows that were really popular in the 80s and 90s, right? The Beverly Hills 90210 (laughs) and the Melrose Places, et cetera. But also um, watching telenovelas and watching world-class soccer and watching news in Spanish with my parents. Early on for me, I fell in love with media. I fell in love with television. And early on, I also realized that I didn't I didn't feel represented. At the time, it was very confusing. And for me, it was very frustrating because it was like, I don't understand how, you know, I'm grabbing the paper and I'm looking at the Nielsen ratings and I'm seeing what are the top shows in America. And again, I'm seeing all these shows that I just mentioned to you. And there's not one Spanish language show. I'm like, well, every Latino in this country knows, like you grow up watching Sabado Gigante or you grew up watching one of the great telenovelas that in the 80s and 90s was, you know, Talia was probably at the forefront of it, right? And it was just like a very frustrating thing to not see that my community and myself wasn't being represented in media. The problem is, is that I didn't have anybody to actually tell me how to get into media. Right. For me and for my parents, it was always a discussion of your You're going to go to college and you're going to do well and you're going to study and you're going to do all these things. But, you know, if you're going to go to college, it's got to be, you know, in 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 a lane of, you know, business or finance or something that, you know, you're going to be able to support yourself. Right. 
obviously, you know, when my father passed away and I was 15, there was, it was even more critical to put food on the table. You know, I've been working since I was 14. You know, my story is no different from a lot of other kids who grow up in urban areas, mm -hmm. right? And having grown up in the South Bronx, you know, there were days that it was like, is there going to be food on the table? Uh, are we going to have electricity? I was a kid who who took advantage of the free lunches at school, right? And so for me, it was even harder because here it is, I had this passion for media, but it was like, I need to do something in, in finance. I was good with numbers. So again, there was a little bit of just kind of like, let's do that. But the, the big um, moment for me, you know, for as much as you try to keep busy and you're trying to do a thousand things... I think there's a lot of power in just quieting the mind and just being in the moment. And I've been very good at just listening to signals. You know, for Latinos, spirituality is a big component of who we are as a culture. And I grew up in the church. And so I learned early on, whether you call it now meditation, to just really listen to the silence and see kind of what people are trying to tell you. And, and in one of those silences, I actually had someone in high school, one of the guidance counselors, actually tell me about a really incredible program. Uh, there's a program called Inroads. And Inroads is a program for uh, minorities, African-Americans and Latinos. And they place talented high school seniors into four-year internships in media and finance and, and, and other businesses. And so at the time, I got, uh, I got a summer internship at uh, what would become Chase Bank. Mm -hmm. And as I attended Fordham University, each of my summers, I had a subsequent internship at Chase. And whereas I would never have had the opportunity to have gotten an investment banking job based on my background. Right. And based on the fact that as an undergrad, I didn't go to an Ivy school because I listened and trusted in someone who really saw something in me that I probably didn't even see in myself and said, I think you would be really good in this internship program. That really opened all these doors for me. And so after four years of doing internships, I was very fortunate to have been given um, an opportunity to enter the rigorous analyst program. For the first time in my life as a Latina, I felt like I belonged in the room. Why? How? That surprises me. I would not have thought that, that was the yeah. next step in this phase. Well, what's interesting is that we don't spend a lot of time talking about what that experience is as, as an immigrant, where you want to fit in. And, you know, particularly as a Latino, you know, you straddle a little bit this idea of like, well, what am I? Right. Um, am I American? I'm not I'm not, uh, you know, uh, I don't feel I'm as American as I should be to my American friends. But then for my Latino friends, I'm not as Latino as they expect me to. Right. And that's that's really hard. And we don't talk about it a lot. You know, and I love the younger generations who are so honest and open with their feelings. And, you know, that's not something that Gen Xers were known for. Right. So, you know, it was really it was really hard for me to 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 really feel like I belonged in a place. Right. I'd gone into one of the elite high schools in New York City, which also made me feel a little uncomfortable as well, because again, it's this feeling, do I belong here? Mm -hmm. And so when I went to college and I went to Fordham University, um, and I loved being there and I learned so much, but, um, you know, you always, 
you always have this feeling of I don't belong in this room, which we now catalog as the imposter syndrome, right? right? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And now I love that everybody knows everybody the definition talking and everybody's it. talking yes, about it or yes. whatever. But, you know, when you're in the moment, <laughs> yeah. right? And by the way, can't we all relate to that? Like, we know what those feelings are. And now it's great. There's a name to it. Fabulous. But, you know, there's always this feeling of like, I, you know, um, do I belong here? I think also, too, as a Latino um, and I think even more now in, in, in this era that we're living in, you know, sometimes there's feelings of like, I, I don't belong here. I'm mm-hmm. not wanted here. Right. And so what interesting enough is that I wasn't even going to apply to this, the, the, the investment program, right. The analyst program. And, and again, somebody convinced me to do it and I went through and it was the first time that I said, okay, I am sitting in a room I was actually the only Latina in the room at that time, right, of the 40 people that were doing the analyst program. I was the only Latina in the room. I was the only one that wasn't from an Ivy League. And I scored at the top of that class at that moment in time when I got that recognition of having passed a rigorous program in in a very elite institution like Chase was – to actually be told by the professors and the people that were teaching the classes that I was, you know, one of one of the highest um, who performed there. I needed that moment of validation. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that there's anything wrong in saying that, right? But oftentimes, we don't want to show that weakness. We don't want to show that we needed to hear that or we don't want to say that. Mm-hmm. I actually don't think that there's any any shame in the struggle. You know, that's one of the things that I like to say, too, to like, there's no shame in the struggle. There's no shame in where you come from. You know, see it as an opportunity. See it, you know, and doing the two years in investment banking actually taught me that I could sit there in a deal room that, you know, what when you're working the 18-hour days, when you're working the seven days a week, and you're in a room with everybody else, like, I can hold my own here. I, I belong here. Mm-hmm. And interesting enough... When I was doing the banking thing, it opened my doors to what it is to get an MBA because I didn't, I didn't really think that an MBA was possible. I had a wonderful, wonderful mentor who was um, one of the directors of the bank at the time. And I remember he sat down with me and he was not Latino, right? And he sat down with me and he said, you know, you're really good at this. Like, what do you, you want to do? Where do you see yourself? And I had a very honest conversation with him about the fact that I, I, I enjoyed doing the investment banking stuff, but I really really felt a need to serve my community. And then um, I finally had the guts to actually take my deepest dreams and say them out loud, even if it was with a whisper Mm -hmm. to somebody that would listen. Because I was so scared that if I actually verbalized, like, I want to do Spanish language media, somebody would say, what, what is that? Who, like, what are you thinking about? What are you talking about? about? Yeah. Right. Um, And it was the fact that, you know, and again, that's also been a very big lesson for me of just like whatever your craziest dream and desire is, whatever you want to do, whatever that thing that keeps you up at night, that voice in your head that um, listen to it and actually call it out to the universe, whether it's in a whisper, whether it's like with a family member, or even if like you're just so scared to share it with anybody, then just write it down so that you can put it out into the universe and make it happen. And I love it. He just looked at me and he was just kind of like, you want to work in media? Then do it. Even more reason why you should get your MBA now and pivot. And that's, you know, he 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 unlocked that opportunity for me to then subsequently go to Stanford and then make it to Univision. So when I got to Stanford and I went to Stanford and, you know, I applied and I sent in the essays of like, what do I want to do with this MBA? 
I said to my, you know, I right then and there, I had actually submitted and said, you know, I actually want to take my MBA and I want to work in strategy and I want to work at Univision. And when I went on campus, I fell in love with Stanford because, remember, this is about 1999, 2000, right? So it's the beginning of the dot-com boom, right? And everybody's in Silicon Valley. Everybody's excited. Everybody's excited. And I remember going on campus and just thinking to myself, wow, it's 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 just magical here, right? And it was that sense of entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. And I remember going on campus and talking to some people and, um, you know, to some classmates and everybody's talking about like the dot-com that they want to found or that they right. want to work for or whatever. And they'd say, well, what do you want to do? And I always just say, well, I want to work in Spanish language television. And they didn't even bat an eyelash. It was the first place that I went that it was just kind of like, you know, and I remember one of the students actually said it best. He said to me, he's just like, well, you know what? Like, I'm sure people, when you say Univision, they they must think like, hmm, that's kind of strange. I was just like, who am I to tell you that your dream is strange? Like, I'm the one that's trying to be like a dot-com, you know, founder here, right? So come on in. You know, we're all, we're all going to have a great time together. And so that spirit of just taking chances, I was really able to foster at Stanford. So, yes, I started as an intern at Univision. I like to say that I stalked my way into that internship. <laughs> yes, how'd you get your foot in the door? Yeah. So I, you know, this is, again, before Google and everything else. So there was no website to go to. There was not, right? So I randomly cold called the um, headquarters in Miami while the production happened. And I was like, hi, I want an intern, you know, an internship. And they were like, who? What? What are you talking about? We've, you know, we've never had an intern with an MBA. We don't even know what to do with you. Long story short, and because, you know, I believe that, you know, there's serendipity in the world and all that, it just so happened that the president of Univision of the local stations for the first time ever was going to be at the Stanford University campus, but he was actually going to be talking about technology and what we later call a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so it was a technological discussion, but I was like, I'll take it. And I went there with my resume and I went up to him and I said to him, I said, you know, I really want to work at Univision. And he was really shocked and surprised. And he tested me and he said, you know, well, I'm based out of L.A. If you really want a job, you know, fly yourself, talk to my assistant. This is the number and we'll see. And, you know, look, you know, you're in San Francisco. The interview's in L.A. You don't have money. Right, it's expensive. like you're making these choices. I mean. Right. And I said, I'm going to do it. I showed up. So much so that when I actually showed up to my interview and the um, assistant that secured the interview, like, actually went into his office and said, you know, Jessica Rodriguez is here. He was shocked that it was me, (laughs) that he was like, I can't believe that you made it. And I remember being so gutsy and looking at him and just saying, like, I've never worked in media. So I'm not a reporter. I'm not a producer. I don't know how to throw cable. I'm not an editor. But let me tell you something. I grew up on Univision, and I adore this network. And this is, I love the shows, and I love your mission, and um, I want to work here more than anything in the world. And he said to me, but why should I hire you? And I said, and I said to him, I said, look, let me, let me, let me be very clear here. Um, I may not have the traditional background that you might be looking for, but what I can tell you is that if you hire me, you are never, ever, ever going to regret it. And the rest is history. He took a chance on me. I did an internship in L.A. Uh, When it was time to take my first job, you know, to your point, right, there's probably some expectations, right? Like, I have my MBA from Stanford. You know, you're going to send me to, like, the headquarters in Miami. Or, you know, I get it. You know, I I, I took an internship uh, for this year, but now I know how the company's working. So, you know, I'm hoping you'll send me to either, again, New York or or Miami. And he was like, you know, we're launching a really – we're launching a station in Puerto Rico – 
We've never had a footprint in Puerto Rico. Um, we're actually buying a, a, a station that was struggling there. And, you know, you said you were Puerto Rican, right? Your mom's Puerto Rican or whatever. And, you know, you speak Spanish. Like, we're going to send you there. And, you know, that to me was a big lesson for me because it was like I had an opportunity right there. That That's a fork in the road, right? right. That's one of those classic forks in the road. Like, you, you're given an opportunity and you could say – no, that's not what I envisioned I'd be doing right out of, you know, mm-hmm. my business degree from Stanford. Or you can say, oh, I know why I'm getting this job. I'm getting this job because nobody else wants to take this job. Nobody else sees the opportunity. I'm going to take it, even though I I had never lived in Puerto Rico. I didn't have friends in Puerto Rico, right? I mean, it was, it was a real big struggle for me to make that decision to say I'm going to go live mm-hmm. in a Caribbean country after being born and raised in the States um, for all these years. And I took it because I was like, I am going to take the job that nobody else wants. And I am going to prove what I said to him in the interview, which was like, you are never, ever going to regret having hired me. And going to Puerto Rico and taking that chance of, again, living in a country that I had never lived Mm -hmm. in, culturally speaking, it was very different from being, you know. um, Certainly different than the Bronx. Than the Bronx, right? (laughs) Or or California. Or California or, you know, let's be clear, right? If you're born and raised in the States and your parents are from Puerto Rico, you're a New Yorkan, right? If you're from New York. So being a New Yorkan is very different from having been born and raised on the island, right? So there, it was a tough transition for me. It was also a really beautiful opportunity for me to reconnect with my roots, with my history, but more so in terms of like as a corporate decision, it was the best decision I ever made because what I learned in seven years in Puerto Rico would have taken me 20 years anywhere else. I actually would say that I would probably not have learned the basics of media, right? Like, again, all the things that I didn't know, how to throw down cable, how to do a show rundown, how to do a live show, breaking news, right? No job too big, no job too small, right? Um, Go in there and launch something from scratch and work with a community and make things better for a community. And so for me, it was like this beautiful convergence of like working for my community, building something that was important, connecting to my roots, helping in the mission and in the vision of this incredible company called Univision. And that wouldn't have happened if I would have taken the typical job, right, out of New York, go work for the sales force, or, oh, why don't you go work in strategy for, you know, the VP of programming, right? Um, Taking that job that nobody else wanted to just really taught me everything that I know about media. We've clearly worked your way up to the top levels here. There aren't many major corporations where women of color are given the chance to be at the C-suite executive level. Do you ever feel there's like extra pressure on you that you've got to get this right? Yeah, absolutely. There's so much pressure. It's so, you know, it's... Absolutely. I mean, there's also an interesting dynamic that I think tends to happen. I don't want to speak as a Latina woman. Mm -hmm. So, you know, oftentimes when we're raised in our Latino cultures, you know, one of the things that we're taught is, you know, defer to to people in power, right. to your elders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, be conciliatory, be kind, be empathetic, be all those things that you're supposed to be, right? You know, so I think that there's a... Um, there's that added challenge of like, you're in the C-suite and you're a woman, 
right? And so it's all the things that I think that as a woman, you just feel that you're part of the C-suite. Like, how do I bring the entirety of who I am to the office, right? And that means bringing the fact that I'm proud of being empathetic. I'm proud of the fact that, you know, I multitask, right? All the things that we know that women can do. um, And how do I bring that to the table? But then there's that added element of being a Latina Mm -hmm. in the room. And so you feel that there's that added pressure, of making sure that you're doing good by your community, right? Oftentimes, people don't know what's happening in the Hispanic population. They don't understand the power that we have, the influence that we're gaining in this country, who we are, what we represent. And most people don't know about that. So oftentimes, when you're in the room, you're almost the de facto teacher of that. You know, oftentimes in corporate America, if you are Latino, the price has been that you've had to kind of dial back on your Latinoness. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I absolutely love working at Univision and why, you know, every single employee at Univision (laughs) lives and loves the mission and the vision. And we've got employees who are lifers um, and those that maybe have joined five years ago, they say, I want to be at Univision forever, is because how beautiful and how empowering, I mean, it's it's hard not to get a little bit... um, just emotional about it. How wonderful it is to be able to go to work every day and everybody that sits next to you is your community. Mm-hmm. Every day you can come to work and you can be your authentic self because you don't have to dial back on who you are. And so that what does that mean? It, you know, oftentimes it's like, yes, you know, I love to gesticulate, right? I love to communicate. I'm a hugger. I'm a kisser. We don't have to hide who we are in this environment, right? What's interesting is that, yes, once you're in the C-suite or when you're serving on boards or you're externally meeting with clients where you tend to be the only, you know, woman or the only Latina in the room where you have that added pressure, And now that I'm part of a company that everyone's Latino, that's where you really see the differences, right? It's like what it is to feel at home here, what it is to feel heard, seen, and understood here on a daily basis, and then how you have to pivot when you now represent the company Mm -hmm. in a a different way, right? Jessica, thank you so much for this conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you. Women Rule is produced by Zach Stanton. A special thanks to Bob Ald for helping us out in New York. Dave Shaw is the executive producer of Politico Audio. The show is made in partnership with our founding partners, Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and leave a review. And please share our episodes on social media and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DC. You can also join the Women Rule community by texting WOMEN to 66866. 